The Secrets of Middle-Earth is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Middle-Earth, where we discuss the hidden themes and deeper layers found in the works of J.R.R. Tolkien, whether in his writings or in any of the media derived from them. I'm Thomas Salerno, and joining me today are Jeff Hecker. Hey there, Jeff. Hey, Thomas. And Thomas Sanherho. Hi, Thomas. Hey, Thomas. And Caitlin Fasista. Hello, Caitlin. Hey. And be sure to follow The Secrets of Middle-Earth in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, or any of your uh, podcast apps of choice. And you can also follow us on social media, where we are at facebook.com slash starquestmedia. We're on Twitter, where we are at SQPN. We're on Instagram, where we are at StarQuest Network. And don't forget that The Secrets of Middle-Earth now has an official t-shirt, which is really awesome. It's got all the races, the major races of Middle-Earth on it. And uh, it's got the, uh, the Hail Mary in Quenya around the different characters. It's a really awesome design. And uh, you can check it out. You can go to sqpn.com slash merch and you can get this really awesome design. And it's not just T-shirts. You can get this design on mugs, stickers, mouse pads, notebooks, phone cases, all kinds of crazy stuff just by visiting sqpn.com slash merch. It's a great way for you to support our show and to show you show your love for Tolkien and his wonderful world of Middle Earth. So at the uh, at the time of this recording, there's actually a new Tolkien inspired video game that's out. The Lord of the Rings Gollum, which is on PlayStation, Xbox and PC. Uh, It's been out for a couple of weeks at the time we're doing this discussion. When you're hearing this, it'll probably already be a month or two old. But anyway, we thought that given that Gollum is in the public consciousness again, this would be the perfect opportunity to do a character deep dive into Smeagol. Who is he? What are his motives? What are the deeper themes of his story? And why is he such a pivotal character in Tolkien's Legendarium? Uh, But first, let's actually talk about the game a bit. The Lord of the Rings Gollum. I I think it's safe to say, if you follow video game news at all, that you've probably seen that the new game is being roundly panned by reviewers. But I'll throw it out to the panel. Have, Have any of you played this game or seen it played and if so what are your thoughts about it i've watched some play some playthroughs and um it's i'm i'm so sad because i I actually was going to buy this game just for this purpose and i can't justify the cost of buying a game that i know i'm gonna play just to do this podcast and then never play again so i i like stealth games this does not look like a stealth game. I like narrative games. It doesn't really look like a narrative game. I'm not really sure what it is. And that's kind of, I don't know. It's kind Aww. of the sad part about it. Like, it's just like watching people play it. And and I tried to get the most moderate viewpoint of it that I could too, because it's, it's one of those it, it, that right now on YouTube, it's kind of being roundly panned inside of the, the playthroughs as well, where people are just kind of doing mystery science theater 3000 takedowns of the game while they're playing it. Oh, it's being roasted. Um, yeah. 
yeah that's it's so just, sad just, yeah i know and um like the only thing that comes to mind when i'm thinking of this game is like the the um uh, the pity quote that Gandalf has when he's talking to to Frodo about um about Gollum himself. So I don't know. I, I'll I'll open it up for you guys. But yeah, I was really sad just watching the the playthroughs of this game. So I think I took one for the team because I bought the game. Um, <laughs> you are amazing. Um, I, so I feel like my review has to be taken with a grain of salt because I'm not a gamer. I'm actually horrible at playing video games. Um, I was trying to play the Gollum game and my husband is kind of sitting there laughing at me because, um, you know, like just basic video game controls. I'm not very uh, keen on, um, but I, I really like the art style. I like that. It's different than the Peter Jackson movies. And I was so excited come coming in like you know as the game was about to come out because it looked so different and it was very refreshing and exciting and I felt like all of their marketing was so straightforward and clear-cut um which was also refreshing after kind of the ambiguity of the rings of power marketing um but when it really comes down to it actually playing the game was not very fun um there were just so many glitches and I know there was a lot of glitching coming out for the people who got review copies so I didn't get one of those um I actually waited until the game had been out a week because I figured you know maybe by then they'll have fixed the issues um but even yesterday I was playing it and you know you'll you'll try to jump onto this spot on the wall to climb and then it just like you know, knocks you down to the ground and you die. And um, my husband is also playing and the same thing was happening to him. So that wasn't just me being bad at the game. Um, there was just a lot of glitching. Uh, there were different levels where you'd play the entire level, you know, get all of your little tasks done. I don't know if level is the appropriate word for it, but, you know, a little section, you get all your tasks done and it wouldn't let you move on. And so uh, my husband was playing and he died and then he had to redo the whole level exactly the same, and then it worked again. So, like, just one kind of frustrating little glitch after another. But then the story was really fun. I mean, it's it's fun learning about Gollum. And my husband hasn't read The Lord of the Rings, so uh, he was telling me this morning, like, all of the stuff he was learning about Smeagol. And so I thought that was really cool because I was like, how Aww. did you know that? Um, he said something about how Smeagol had been uh, like basically, you know, driven out of his home by his family. And I was like, how did you know that? It's like, it's in the game. So I thought that was cool. <laughs> um, but like, I think it's $60. That's yeah. just massively expensive for a game that it almost feels like you're playing a mobile game, like a free mobile game. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So it was disappointing. I think maybe if they would have spent like six more months on it, um, which is crazy because it was supposed to come out last September and then it got pushed back to this May. So I don't even want to think about what it looked like last September if it's this bad today. Um, yeah, I was kind of bummed out. I wouldn't really recommend people spending their hard earned money on it. Yeah, Thank the reviews I've the seen real. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah yeah thank you because yeah. yeah i, I, I did the not game, buy so the you game you don't have to yeah right when when i saw it was 60 dollars, even before i knew about all the problems i was like i don't know because it i don't know it just for what they were advertising what kind of game it was it didn't seem like a 60 dollar mm -hmm. game right and i think the new zelda game is about that about mm -hmm. that much but i think that was a 
kind of totally different game. And a oh, lot yeah. of people I talked to, I was kind of asking, are you going to play this game? And everyone was like, I'm too busy playing Zelda. Like, well, right. Yeah, I get yeah. that. It came out at, at a really bad time where it's going to get stomped on by Zelda and Jedi Fall, uh, the sequel to Fallen Order mm-hmm. and all these other big games that are coming out this summer. And the reviews I've seen seem to indicate that, yeah, lore wise, the game does some interesting things and has some kind of cool, like new characters who like fit into this kind of unknown time period. But you just, yeah, it's still I I could go on the wiki and read that, you know, the wiki for the game. I don't want need to spend sixty dollars just to learn new lore stuff and then also be frustrated because I can't climb walls and stuff that. Yeah. Right. That yeah, if you wait so long enough, someone will like someone will record all the cutscenes and put them together on YouTube, and you can just like watch. Yeah. Those and get get the lore without the, uh, the without the <laughs> the frustration. I did um, see that it it does have a soundtrack, and it, it was kind of nice, you know, enjoyable music to listen to. So you could probably find the soundtrack on a music app and enjoy that. Oh, yeah, cool. I'll look that up. I love video game. Yeah. That, that's most of the music I listen to is like video game and music <laughs> soundtracks. So I will definitely be looking that up. But yeah, and that, I, I guess the one other thing I'd say is that I really hope that that this does not bode ill for the future of Middle Earth video games. Because I know that the IP is basically controlled by Embracer Group now. And I hope mm-hmm. they just pick, I don't know, m- maybe more experienced studios in the future. Like, I, I don't know. I, I just hope that we get a wide variety of Middle Earth games and that they're good. Because it doesn't matter if there's a, a ton of them out there, if they're not fun to play or, yeah. you know, of well, bad quality. I'll, I'll be honest, even with the bad reviews on this one, and if it had been 20 bucks, I would have bought it. Exactly, um, yeah. I, I could not justify spending $60 on this game when I just spent $60 on Breath of the Wild a couple mm. of weeks ago. You know, <laughs> it's like, that's just, it, it doesn't make any sense because I know that this is not a game that's, that's as expansive and as, as going to be as much of a time uh, investment as Breath of the Wild is. And I love narrative games. I they're some of my favorite games, but they really like the price point for them is normally right around that twenty dollar mark. It's like buying a good book or a movie, you know. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. I will say the last thing I want to say about um the Gollum game is I did really enjoy how it immediately um told you what year you were in and what location you mm. were in and which characters you were speaking to. Because I, I guess I'm slightly traumatized after the rings of power, uh, having no idea what year I'm in, what characters I'm, you know, who's, where's Sauron? Who's, who am I talking to? Who's the stranger? And so I, I felt like when, um, at the beginning of the game, it tells you, um, I forget exactly what the year is, but it's like third age da, 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 this year. Here's your location. And I just felt like, oh, this is so nice. Like, this is something that <laughs> I'm, I had really taken for granted before the Rings of Power with the time compression and the kind of feeling of being disoriented at the beginning. So that was one nice thing about the Gollum game that I enjoyed. Well, yeah, hopefully, you know, future games are able to 
you know, learn from the lessons here. And even this studio, if they make another Middle Earth game, please, please learn, learn from what's happened. But mm-hmm. uh, d- definitely, if, if, if anyone out there in the, the listening audience, if you've played the game, we want to hear from you. What, what did you think of it? Um, what price point would you have preferred? You know, what's your experience with it? Funny glitch stories. We want to know all that. So you can let <laughs> us know on YouTube and uh, Patreon and through our email and all that great stuff. But um, to get more into Gollum as a character rather than his various adaptations, of which we'll probably talk about the iconic, the, the iconic one later. But um, I just want to throw this question out there to the panel. Gollum is such I wouldn't say he's my favorite character, but he's a very interesting character. So what what intrigues you guys about Smeagol? So this is where I get to throw out my controversial opinion, right? Yes, I was yes, waiting. I want, yes. I want to hear your also, controversial opinion. That. So my controversial opinion about Gollum is this. He is the actual hero of the Lord of the Rings. So okay. everybody attributes it to, you know, Frodo or to Bilbo. But the guy that gets the job done in the end is Gollum. And it's... It's it's Smeagol. That's that's he is the one that completes everything, and it's interesting to me. Though this take on Golem is very interesting to me because he's the one that had to deal with the ring the longest out of anyone, and he was corrupted by it, but not so much that he couldn't be redeemed. And there's a question of where he was before he even got the ring. So before he even encountered the ring, he was a shady figure and then just got worse once he got the ring. But by the end, he's actually turning around like the influence of Sam and of um, and of Frodo is actually making him better and he's improving. And that's not just being away from the ring like it's beyond that. He's becoming a better hobbit. And that, to me, is a huge deal. And throughout the books, you see his struggle internally. So much so that I debate the fact that at the end, when he goes to bite off uh, Frodo's finger and steal the ring, that he's not doing that partially out of that self-loathing and need to destroy this thing that has so much debased him. So I think there's, you know, there's a way to take it where he's like, he's just, he's crazed. He goes and, uh, you know, tries to seal the ring back. But the other way to think about that is that throughout this book, we've seen him throughout the books, we've seen him struggle with himself. And this moment might be that pinnacle moment where something has just broken inside of him and he actually moves beyond that. And he's the one that gets the job done. Isler couldn't do it. Frodo couldn't do it. This is the guy that does it. So, yeah. That's my take. That is a very <laughs> controversial take. Wow. <laughs> oh, my goodness. No, but I, I like hearing about that because it does make you stop and think about certain things Gollum says, you mm-hmm. know, and certain things that he does on his journey with Frodo and Sam, especially as it gets closer to the end. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely think there's an argument to be made that it can be interpreted that way. Like he's he's either, like you say, the hero of the story 
or at the very worst, he's an anti-hero because uh-huh. he accomplishes the good thing, but but for the wrong reasons, which would make him an anti-hero. But right. yeah, because I, I don't believe he's he's a he's an out and out villain through and through. I mean, in a literary sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there's also the theory that he got pushed in by a breath of wind from Eru Luvatar through Monway. <laughs> he ah. got pushed, in, oh, pushed right. into, the, yeah. into the fire from, because it was, it was Eru's will that the ring be destroyed. And so that at the very end, they, Eru was going to be there to, uh, to finish it anyway. So, so to counter your argument, Thomas, <laughs> I don't <laughs> who know says, that who I... Says that that's, who says that it wasn't the will of Eru that, <laughs> that this broken figure, you know, be the one to finally go over the edge with? Yeah, yeah I, I always true. saw it as um, Providence and um, like Eru in the form of Providence stepping in and kind of taking... Um, I didn't see it as Smeagol's conscious action that brings about the destruction of the ring, but it's more for him. It's um, I wouldn't say accident, but I don't think he does it on purpose because um, I don't know. There there are a couple quotes in Tolkien's letters that kind of make me think it was, it was more the, the work of fate or Providence um, that kind of brought about the, the ending more than his own choice. I could be wrong. I'm, I'm vaguely remembering something where, about and this could be just a commentary of of Lord of the Rings that I've read or something or something I heard, but I heard it or read it somewhere that they someone said that Frodo couldn't have destroyed the ring at, at the end because he he just couldn't have his because of the the power of the ring and being so close to to Sauron and Mordor and being in Mordor he could not have he just could not have done it he would not have so. I I do like the even though I I don't know that I I agree that Gollum was the hero at the end. I do like the fact that it was it, even Frodo, who's you know one of the noblest of of characters in the story, still couldn't overcome this this huge evil and be, um and so it it took you know an, another another person and it took Gollum to finish the job. So um. Even even if it was finished due to his his own madness and addiction to the ring, rather than being a hero. But either way, um, yeah, I I have always liked the fact that it, that Frodo, even even as good as Frodo was, like this thing is just too powerful for him too. So it needed yeah. there needed something else to finish it. Yeah, I've also seen an explanation that says that um, it's it's more than just fate. It's because like in in Middle Earth, oaths and curses work. And while mm. they're making their way up the mountain and Gollum makes his final attack, Frodo curses him and says, if you touch me again, you will cast yourself into the fire of doom, which is then exactly what transpires. So there's kind of the working of fate in the sense that Frodo and he's holding the ring when he makes that oath. Mm making it even more powerful. So it's like, yeah, it's like that, that, that final sequence on the mountain and in the Samoth now is just so full of ways you can interpret it in different ways of exploring the different characters. But, uh, uh, Jeff, what, 
what intrigues you specifically about Gollum as a character? Yeah, so I, I may have, I can't remember if I've mentioned this on the podcast, but one of my first Tolkien memories is probably in second grade. I think my, our theater teacher was, we had a break or something or, or, you know, might've been a different class or something. But anyway, the teacher was reading the riddle, uh, the riddling section from the Hobbit. Uh, and I don't think we'd really read bef- read the part uh, up to that port part or after we just read this section probably because it was it's like very interesting dramatic kind of like you could make a little scene do a little scene out of it if you wanted to um so I just that's always stuck with me as having heard that heard the whole riddling section and just imagining you know at the time I wasn't thinking of Gollum like I mean my my version of Gollum will be Gollum from the films just because that's just what I grew up with. That'll always be what I picture when I see Gollum. But at the time, I don't know that I pictured it quite like that, but, um, but yeah, just, that's always kind of Gollum's always kind of stuck with me there. And, um, and yeah, I I just kind of think of Gollum as almost like, you know, we all kind of have a, have a Gollum in our lives of, you know, whether it's, (laughs) whether it's, it's an actual person that, that (laughs) is dragging us, you know, can weigh on us or, you know, work or anything else, but like, we all have something that's kind of, and, you know, kind of like, it's kind of like sin in a way is that we all have this so yes. I kind of think thinking of him as a concept um, in that sense that, you know, we all, this is something that's always kind of weighing us down and we all have that potential within us to, you know, have given to that, you know, that, that darker nature. Um, but through, through grace, we can, we can overcome that. And, um, and yeah, so, and, and it's just interesting seeing Gollum is he really didn't have that, he really wasn't given that grace or that redemption much in the story. Like he was and a lot of, a lot of the characters of Tolkien are redeemed, even if they're redeemed at their death. Um, Mm -hmm. Like, but in this, in Gollum's case, he's, he really didn't get redemption. He just, I mean, he, he, I guess in a way he got peace at the end uh, of finally not having to deal with this, you know, horrible addiction and abuse from the, from the ring that he suffered for centuries. So, yeah, just kind of an interesting. I mean, yeah, there's there's a lot more to say, but um, yeah, I'll, that's kind of my my initial thoughts on that. What about you, Caitlin? Do you have a favorite aspect of this character? Yeah, um, for me, I think what stands out the most about Gollum is his. It's just the way that he comes so close to repentance, um, even though he ultimately doesn't get a hundred percent there there's a point where he gets like 99 percent there and tolkien says in his in one of his letters it's letter 96 the tragedy of Gollum, who at that moment came within a hair of repentance um so he kind of is going along with the same thing like and i think that's a really big theme in tolkien is characters you know, they kind of live the bulk of their life going down this path of evil. But right before they get to this point of no return, they they waver. Um, we see that in the Silmarillion with Arpharazone as he's, you know, making war against the Valar. He wavers along the way. And I think we also see that with Sauron as he's kind of um, at the beginning of the Second Age as he is considering repentance. And he, you know, he gets he gets kind of far he goes to talk to aeon way and he humbles himself but ultimately he makes this decision to leave and um take a different path and so i think for Gollum, 
that is what stands out the most to me that he can be so wretched and he is considered a villain by a lot of people. He does do a lot of horrible things. I think, um, you know, we see in the fellowship of the ring that he allegedly eats babies, which is, um, oh yeah, <laughs> just an example. That's, that's a good example of how bad he is. He's not, um, he's not just moderately bad. He's very, very bad, but, um, it's just the fact that, um, it's his own choices that ultimately lead him to wherever he goes. The ring does influence him, but he makes his final, um, I feel like I'm using the word choice a lot, but he does, he, he ultimately chooses to kind of go down this very, very evil path towards the end of the Lord of the Rings on his own. Um, and I don't think he doesn't have the ring at the time. So even though it's kind of calling to him, this is his own choice that he's making. So I feel like Gollum really emphasizes the destructive nature of the ring, but also the importance of characters, actual choices that they can make on their own. Yeah. And Thomas, I just think it's so interesting to think of Gollum as the hero of the story that now I almost want a version of the Lord of the Rings told from his point of view, from his perspective, you know, like kind of like that play, you know, Wicked, which is, I believe, right. I haven't seen it, but from what I understand, it's told from the Wicked Witch of the West's mm -hmm. perspective. And that idea yeah. of getting the villain or anti-hero's point of view of the same events, like through Gollum's warped sort of vision of things, like I could just imagine the same events looking completely different. And that would be just so fascinating. <laughs> That's kind of what I was hoping for with the video game. Like, <laughs> I was right. hoping for something yeah. similar to that mm -hmm. in the game. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, it would be it would be really interesting to see just the um, what's actually going through his head when yeah. he's struggling because it's something that we only see from the perspective of the hobbits, and and that's that's good too, though because he's a hobbit you know and that's that's the i think that's the other really interesting aspect about him as a character is that he's no different from frodo and sam and that that's driven home to frodo through that whole travel in into mordor with gollum as he sees himself he sees what he could become if he keeps carrying the ring and and i i think that we know enough about smeagol and about who he was before he got the ring that we know that's never what Frodo would degrade into, even given an infinite amount of time with the ring. I don't think he would ever fall that far. Um, but, but we do see the effect that it has on him. And, um, and to remember that Gollum is not fundamentally different than those hobbits in his nature, except perhaps in who he was as an individual. Yeah. And I, I, I think, what intrigues me most about his character is something you brought up, Jeff, which is him as a metaphor for the consequences of sin in our lives and that sin as an addiction, you know, because he, he keeps coming back to it. He keeps coming back to it. You know, like the old phrase that it's kind of gross, but it, the dog returns to his vomit, right? The, the sinner keeps returning 
to their sin, even as St. Paul says, you know, I do the things that I'm not supposed to, that I don't want to do, and I do them anyway. And that's that's kind of like Gollum, because the Smeagol part of him doesn't want to be this horrible, horrible, has these constant debates with the Gollum side, you know, and he, he kind of represents Gollum as like the shadow side of every person, which is a bit frightening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I noticed a quote from book one when um, Gandalf is talking to Frodo about the whole history with Gollum. And he says, I think it is a sad story and it might have happened to others, even to some hobbits that I have known. And that really Mm -hmm. emphasizes that, like, you think you're a good person, but how would you hold up to the temptation of the ring? And if you do look Mm -hmm. at it as a metaphor for sin... Um, just the way that it can corrode your soul over such a long time, like it really happened to anyone. Oh, yeah. I, th- I think there's a line from I think it's G.K. Chesterton who says something to the effect of that, like even the greatest sinners will be like, oh, yeah, I'm fundamentally a good person. And because mm. <laughs> they're 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 blind to. You know, this other side of themselves, they they'll think like. Well, I haven't killed anybody. I haven't robbed a bank. You know, I'm fundamentally a good person. So many people, so many of us think and say that. Well, and it's a slippery slope, too, because you're like, well, I haven't killed anybody. And then it's, well, I haven't killed two people. Well, I haven't killed three people. It just never stops when you're kind of continually going farther and farther. And how Gollum starts out with just kind of like, small acts of petty jealousy to murdering his cousin like mm-hmm. that escalates very quickly as soon as the ring is brought in well and you almost wonder because then I, I don't we kind of before talked about the, his smeagol's kind of past but he didn't have the best upbringing so i kind of almost <laughs> wonder if like if that cousin if he kind of had a beef with him already um, you know, whether from being, you know, mm. the, if he was the younger cousin being picked on or or whatever. And the ring kind of just was the, you know, that additional thing that that pushed him over the edge to to kind of act on that, you know, that desire to, um, you know, protect himself from being picked on. Um, I don't know, they, you know that's just headcanon or, the, you know, whatever. But well, I, I, I when you're talking about that, too, though, you have to take a step back. And remember that the ring is sentient in and of itself. So it has an and it has a deeper understanding of the people around it than even they do. Uh and so it chose uh Smeagol out of the two of out of the two people that found her, out of the two hobbits that found it at the bottom of the river, it chose Smeagol. And so there was something about him that was already corruptible. And uh, that the ring knew that that was the path it needed to take to be able to get back to where it was trying to go. Yeah. And in the film, when they show the when they kind of do the flashback to this, it's his cousin finds it first. And mm-hmm. he's yeah. like, what is that? It's, it, you know, I want it. And that's so it's not even that he finds it. It's his cousin. He so if, like thinking the ring is sentient. It's like the ring, you know. It, it caused either, you know, it, it caused the one to find it and then caused got Smeagol to kill his cousin for it. So just it's not a good not a good thing. Um, the, well, that one ring. I feel like the ring kind of emphasizes whatever 
traits you already have. So like when the ring is tempting Sam, it's tempting him like, do you want to be the best gardener and have the biggest garden ever? Um, and so when it's when it's kind of speaking to Gollum, it's like or to Smeagol, you know, it's like catering to his own desires and his own um, behaviors already. And but so then so this is the other thing that makes me think of of Gollum as the hero because um his response to the ring is to go into hiding. Right? So he he flees everything that he knows, but instead of like going and in, in seeking power with it or going to you know to live among men and start thieving from them or whatever, he drives himself to the bottom of the earth, essentially. And there's there's like a few different ways that you can think about that. And I'm sure it's because like he always felt an eye over his shoulder, right? There's always like something watching him. But at the same time, the response to that was to hide, to get away from it and to to hide himself away in such a way that he wasn't able to even pursue his own uh, proclivities of, of theft and of, of violence and of, um, you know, he, he, he really did abandon everything including all of the opportunities that having the ring gave him and that to me is such an interesting choice like that is a very different thing than i would have thought of of a character that now has this thing that throughout the rest of the books everyone's like either avoiding touching because it's going to cause them to want power or seeking specifically because they want the power that it offers well i can't imagine that the ring itself would have like revealed to Spiegel that it could give him this power because it probably wouldn't want him to try to contend with its will. But I think that I might be thinking too far into the thought of Sauron. Um, well, and they, but, I mean, they say that the hobbits are less susceptible to some, to some extent to the ring. So it's cause he, he was using the ring. I, uh, I believe he was using the ring to like spy on his family and stuff. And yeah, so to kind of gain, like, know who's, you know, get their secrets and use it against them. But his family all kind of figured that, figured out that it was, he was causing all these problems and drove him out. So, yeah, I mean, it, I wonder if it's, if, if that has something to do with it, that just being less susceptible to the, like the power hungry nature of the ring, you know, or the, 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 the desire to attain power and, you know, conquer and whatever is, it's, it's more of, and I mean, it kind of gives into the Hobbit nature of being, being underfoot and, and hiding away more so than kind of being out in the open. So it's because you know, we see when the Hobbits take the ring, they they're not like trying to lead armies and conquer. They're they're just wanting to like keep it away and go hide it away themselves. So it kind of gives into that Hobbit nature of getting underground and hiding away and uh, you know hiding away your 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 valuables and whatnot. Well, it says in the fellowship that the ring had given him power according to his stature. So that kind of all makes sense. Right. I also thought it was really interesting. Gandalf says, even before Smeagol had the ring, that he was interested in roots and beginnings. He dived into deep pools. He burrowed under trees and growing plants. He tunneled into green mounds, etc. And then it later says after he has the ring and after he's been shunned, he comes to the mountains and he thinks to himself, the roots of those mountains must be roots indeed. There must be great secrets buried there which have not been discovered since the beginning. So you can see even before the ring, he has this weird, like he's already a little weirdo. Um, 
and he <laughs> just kind of it it's almost like he um becomes like a super saiyan version of himself becoming an ultra weird and instead of digging into a little hill he's like i'm gonna dig into this big mountain to find the big secrets after i had found the small secret so it's like for smeagol finding the secrets is like that's what he wants Mm -hmm. and so i think that's at least part of other than you know wanting to hide away he he wants to discover the secrets and like kind of doubling back on what i said before like sin it ends up being just vain because I think in that same section, it says that Gollum really didn't find any secrets under mm-hmm. the mountain. He just found empty night and that there was nothing there to find out, nothing worth doing except eating fish and stuff. So the ring had kind of betrayed him. It did make him think, oh, if you go under those mountains, you'll find amazing secrets. And he's just left with emptiness. Which is like, you know, that feeling, you know, after you've done something you're not supposed to, you know, you're tempted because you feel it'll give you some kind of pleasure or sense of satisfaction. And you're just left with emptiness and guilt. And mm-hmm. oh, that's kind of like Smeagol's whole life, you know, like he's just left with emptiness and guilt, but he keeps going back to it. It is very sad, just like Gandalf said. Yeah, definitely a sad character. Pity that stayed his hand. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, we, we will definitely get to that part because, OK, at this point, Gollum has gone under the mountain and he stays there, I think, for several hundred years. Right. Until like 400 uh, years, I think. 400 years. And apparently he was there before there was Goblin Town. Mm-hmm. Like he's in that part of the mountain and Goblin Town kind of grows up around him. And he, While he doesn't he's eating the baby him. goblins, too, doesn't he? Yeah, he eats any of them. Yeah, any of them that are strays. Yeah, but he specifically goes after babies. They mention that twice: once in the Hobbit and once in the Fellowship of the Ring. Baby orcs and then baby people. Like you just gotta figure this is this is the 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 orc uh, boogeyman, right? Like anything that's the boogeyman to the orcs, that's got to be terrifying. And so, like, there is definitely a level of like, Golem is very very scary. <laughs> no, yeah, he's he's scary. He's he, the way he's described, he reminds me very much of the Morlocks from H.G. Wells's novel The Time Machine, mm-hmm. which are also very terrifying. Like I I that's a novel I go back to a lot, and whenever they describe the Morlocks in their tunnels, in their caverns, and they've got these big luminous eyes and they crawl around, I'm like I almost wonder if they were cuz that novel is is several decades older than the Lord of the Rings. I wonder if mm-hmm. they were an influence on Gollum because they're definitely as terrifying as he is. And they 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 don't have much of a personality other than eating people, which he also does. So <laughs> So there's yeah, there's definitely an interesting connection there. But he's waiting there for nothing. He won't leave, but the the ring leaves him. That's the the interesting part. Mm-hmm. Bilbo finds it because it's not on Gollum and he didn't drop it by accident. The ring contr- that that sentience you were talking about, Thomas, it contrives a situation that Gollum loses it. I guess hoping an orc would find it, but that's not what happens because <laughs> the yes. ring had no clue Bilbo would be there. 
Yeah, imagine imagine your surprise. Yeah. <laughs> what? And and that's when Gandalf says another hobbit? more than the <sighs> another hobbit. Oh darn, you know, like <laughs> I had a nickel for every hobbit I found in this mountain. It'd be two yeah, nickels, but that's it's nickels. happened twice. <laughs> the ro- ring's just rolling snake eyes at that point. And like like Gandalf says, more than the will of the ring is at work. There's that providence mm-hmm. again that Bilbo mm-hmm. was meant to find it out of all people on the planet. And that that's just that that's one of my favorite parts of the Lord of the Rings. It's that it's so subtle that a lot of people miss it. But that there's a guiding providential power at work in Middle Earth. These things just don't happen randomly. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and the, the ring ended up doing this. The, it, the same thing happened, you know, thousands of years before, right? Where it had gotten itself free of Isildur and there it was at the bottom of the lake or at the bottom of the river waiting, you know, and then it's found by this lowly hobbit. So. Yeah, I, it's it's really interesting here too. I, I, one one thing that I think is, it's worth mentioning, and I I would love to come back, and I think we should at some point talk about the ring. Just yes, by oh, itself. Yeah. Maybe a because whole there's a lot. Yeah, there, there's yeah. a lot to unpack there. But one of the things that I'm really interested in, is, and we've kind of touched on it a little bit, is the difference of the powers that the ring gives. And I I feel like. Every user, I, th- I think the only two we see actually use the ring. Because I don't think Sam uses it, does he? Does he ever put it on? So. I think he does. Does he? Okay. All right. So then those three, but they're all, they're all very closely related. This is, this is something that I've, that I've like pondered a lot. Like what would happen if a human put the ring on? And I don't think we have an answer to that. In the movies we do, but I don't know that it ever specifically says what power it grants to Isildur. And so, you know, I, I, I would see it much more likely in the human version that it just makes them immensely powerful. And the reason that it, that it betrays Isildur is that it falls off in a moment of need where he's in, he's in combat and it just slips off his finger. And he's expecting to have that power to be able to just like, you know, wipe the floor with all the orcs that are around him. And it just falls into the river and completely betrays him at that point. So I, I don't particularly like the way that it's portrayed in the movies where he disappears and then reappears. Um, and that that's kind of how he's betrayed by it. So that, that's something that I would love to discuss maybe at another time. But I feel like the, the difference of the powers between the hobbits, like the three hobbits that we see use it, all go invisible. But I wonder if that's because they know that that's what's supposed to happen, quote unquote, with the ring from each other. Whereas I don't feel like that's the same thing that happened to Smeagol. I feel like his was more like he was able to listen to conversations and hear things he wasn't supposed to hear and and know things he wasn't hmm. supposed to know and that's the sort of how i feel the power worked for him differently than the other hobbits i had assumed that he could just get that extra information because of his invisibility that he was able mm-hmm. to like creep around it might be both because sam describes his hearing being intensely strengthened mm-hmm. to the point where he can hear orcs conversing like meters and meters away mm-hmm. so and 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 his other senses are sharpened and it, it's funny sam says he doesn't feel invisible when he puts the ring on he actually feels like he's standing out like a sore thumb he feels visible like uniquely visible 
which mm-hmm. I assume is like he's at that point, you're, you're feeling the eye of Sauron kind of searching right. for you. <laughs> you're being perceived. Yeah. And they would be, he would be visible to one of the Nazgul if they, if they were around too. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if that, and not to get too off track, I wonder if like just having any of the rings of power, if you're a human, if you just essentially fade like the Nazgul and you become mm. undead, if, if lengthening your life might just be something that happens with humans. And since hobbits are related to humans, it also extends their life. Like Smeagol's like five, over 500 years old by the time he dies. Well, I do well, think it it's really it... interesting that he doesn't become a wraith. He's, he mm-hmm. still remains yeah. in his, you know, physical form. But despite having had the ring for so long, do you think that's why? Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't wear it, so it doesn't. It's it drains him psychologically, but not necessarily and and physically to an extent. But yeah, it's not like it doesn't. He's not wearing it constantly and turning mm-hmm. into that. But he, so he probably could have if he wore it, or you know, any anyone could. It's like microdosing. I, I would say some of it's also the will of the ring at that point, right? It, he's he's alone, and so it can't just kill him outright. It needs him alive, and so it's sustaining him because it has to 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 keep its will going and it's kind of like i mean just gotta it's gonna so be horrible for the ring you know the ring's like this is, this is not this guy, better than where i was leave. this guy's <laughs> <Just leave>. <laughs> <laughs> well that again that that's that's why it leaves him and then mm-hmm. is picked up by bilbo which it did not intend and then bilbo unintentionally brings it straight back to Gollum, but Gollum has no idea and and that's that's where the riddle game starts. One of my favorite scenes. And it has an interesting history because apparently in an earlier version and like the first edition of The Hobbit, it's way different. Like hmm. the, the version we're all used to is an edited version of that scene. Like, I think he might have added more riddles, but he definitely adds like those sort of hints that Gollum is also a hobbit. That like those weren't present in the. Yeah, and I think he was reworking the idea of the ring to make it more connected to the Legendarium as a whole because as far... I was listening, I think, to the Prancing Pony podcast and they were talking about this, that um, it wasn't really meant to be that big of a deal at the time. It was like um, kind of unrelated. And so as he's reworking it, as he's starting to think about the Lord of the Rings, he's kind of making things fit together a little bit better. Well, I like the, I like the idea that it started sort of as a children's tale, right? Because that's right. You know, and, and there's a magic ring and, and the commentary <laughs> that, that uh, Gandalf makes about it when, when he first finds out, when he first like really talks with Bilbo about it, says, you know, that there, there are, there are many magic rings in the world. It's like, no, there are not. <laughs> there are not many magic rings in the world. <laughs> in fact, there are very few magic rings in the world. And you know exactly what you're talking about when you're looking at this thing. And that, that to me is intriguing. Like the, the further you get into the lore, you realize that these are truly unique objects. And Gandalf must have had an inkling at that point that what he, what Bilbo had was not just another magic ring, you know, uh, but that it was very, I'm I'm assuming that the first thing he he must have thought was that it must be one of the dwarvish rings that was lost because that would make the most sense. 
Um, but I don't know, like you, you wonder then how, at how long it did take him to like go and hunt this down and figure out that, nope, this is actually like, I think so much of it was probably him not wanting it to be true. Right. Yes. Yeah. Cause then you, yeah, cause sure. then Sauron's returned, you know, and you mm-hmm. <laughs> don't want to have to deal with that or rather. Yeah. Like you said, he doesn't want it to be true. I like the kind of in-universe explanation that Tolkien throws out that the reason why there's two versions of the riddle game story is that Bilbo wrote the version that's in the first edition of the Hobbit to cover (laughs) up how he really got the ring because it's already working on him and he wants to get rid. Gollum called him a thief and he he doesn't want to be associated with that. So he tries to put his claim to the ring in black and white. I deserved it. I won. You know, and then he even says at the Council of Elrond, most of you here have heard me told tell this story differently. And mm-hmm. I feel like that that that's Gandalf, not Gandalf. That's a uh, that's Tolkien <laughs> cluing his readers in. Some of you may have read this tale differently, but <laughs> here's the true version. <laughs> it's like he's love it, that. Yeah, it's a retcon. Before that word was even in the geek <laughs> lexicon, Tolkien is retconning his earlier story, but I giving an the in-universe father of all fantasy. <laughs> the father mm-hmm. of all fantasy is also the father of all retcons. There you He's go. so yeah. clever about it, too, that it makes it just even more enjoyable. Well, we can say Frodo is a more reliable narrator than Bilbo was, because Frodo is yeah, the one who wrote, who wrote The mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings, so he's... Right. He's probably giving a more honest more honest opinion of <laughs> of everything and, and i think the most important part like I, I you know you've got it in the notes thomas but i think the um most important part of the whole encounter is that bilbo spares golem's life and yes. yeah there's absolutely no reason to like there's no reason to at this point he's just escaped the orcs that they've that they've been fighting for their lives uh with and i know that the hobbit's a lot more of a a mild book than um the lord of the rings so there's a lot less actual murder and death but um you know at this point he 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 would be justified in defending himself when he finally gets to the point where he angers golem enough for golem to chase him through the mm-hmm. through the caves and he knows what this creature is capable of uh but he's but he does spare him like he has the opportunity to to kill him and to to put an end to this. I think I, I think he knows that it's evil, uh, but he doesn't. And it's and then, you know, we see the effects of that throughout the rest of the story. And it's amazing. And that's almost like not only is providence at work, but free will. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. Eru is willing to leave certain things up to the free will of his creatures he puts bilbo in that situation but Mm -hmm. bilbo makes the choice the final Mm -hmm. choice and so it's almost like it's it's cooperating in grace it's cooperating in the will of eru that you know eru can put all kinds of things in motion but if, you know, we were the people of Middle Earth are not automatons like what Aule tried to make with the dwarves that are just tied to his will initially. You know, the P, the free, they're, they're the free peoples of Middle Earth. They have free will. And that's, I, I think that 
besides Providence, free will is one of the great themes of the Legendarium. So I think that Tolkien wanted to put it front and center in why things end up working out the way they do at the end of The Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you can say that even that Frodo kind of learned that mercy from Bilbo, from right. uh, from that story. So Frodo, because Frodo, the same thing, Frodo had the chance to, when Gollum attacked them, him and Sam, when they're on the quest, they could have, you know, and, and even before that, when they first, when Gandalf first mentions that Gollum's following them, Frodo's like, why, why didn't he just kill, why didn't Bilbo just kill him? And Gandalf's like, well, he, he might still have a part to play, but, you know, there, it's pity that stayed his hand. So kind of Frodo's learning that lesson, uh, having that lesson passed on to him, which ultimately, if, if it wasn't for Gollum and they couldn't have gotten to Mount Doom to, to even be where they could throw the ring in. So. Right. Because he, he, he leads them to this more accessible path into Mordor, which they, they were just going to go up and knock on the front door. And I don't know how they thought that was, I don't know how they thought going to the black because gate one was going to work out. does simply walk into Mordor. I, I feel so bad for them because they lost, Gan- you know, I don't think Frodo was at all expecting to lose Gandalf. And then after mm-hmm. that, he doesn't have Aragorn with him. And he's just like, I don't know what to do. So it's, I think, you know, Smeagol coming onto the scene in the Two Towers is also kind of another providential um, collision of the two characters. That's right, because he's he's been following this him them this entire time because, you know, and you mentioned Thomas, the, like, when did Gandalf start to begin to suspect? I think it mm-hmm. might be when he interviews Gollum or rather interrogates mm-hmm. him. Because Aragorn <laughs> captures him and, you know, Gandalf, as he says, puts the fear of fire into him and gets him to talk and learns from him things about the ring that I think clued him in. OK, this is not one of the lesser rings. It's not one of the other great rings of power. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, I yep. better go check the archives. Seventy archives right away, yeah, and and he actually had to look through the archives. He did not have the magical archive guy from the Rings of Power. You can immediately <laughs> find here's the right here's Here the one is. piece of paper you need. Yeah, <laughs> I love that that guy. That guy is faster than like Google. <laughs> it's amazing, but but no, G- G- Gandalf is is finally able to figure this stuff out, but and but they leave Gollum in prison, hoping that they can rehabilitate him. But and and that's why I hoped that this game had been successful because it's an interesting part of that story where somehow Sauron, through his agents, is still kind of in communication with Gollum because Gollum had gone to Mordor, been captured, spilled the beans to Sauron that the Ring is abroad and that. A hobbit named Baggins has it. And now when he's in prison, Legolas says that somehow he's conspired with Sauron's people at the in the outside to affect his escape. That's really interesting. <laughs> like, the like, who has he been talking to? Does Sauron have a spy among the Mirkwood elves? We're never told, but that's a very interesting possibility. See, that would have been a really cool TV show to make. Yeah. Just saying. <laughs> Just saying. The Gollum TV show. Gollum the TV show without glitches. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, and, and uh, yeah, I mean, like it would be really like it would be really cool to see essentially a dark elf in 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 earnest, right? That's not bent on this destruction or like you know commanding the orcs or anything like, but really just being subversive and inside of the elvish community. Yeah, but you know, destroying things subtly from the inside. Yes, that, like, like medical intrigue kind of. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, that would have been really cool. Cool thing to make a show about. There you go. But there yeah, you go, Amazon. Yeah. yeah the, come on, Amazon. Let's, you know, when you're finished with. Oh, come on. You you can juggle more than one show. When we're done with yeah. the second age, let's just hop on to this idea. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But Gollum, you, you've got to be impressed with how far he travels, by the way. He is all over the place. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they mm-hmm. say he goes to Erebor, he tracks Bilbo there. When he escapes from Mirkwood, somehow he gets into Moria and starts tracking them from there, which lead to some of the creepiest scenes in the Fellowship of the Ring, where mm-hmm. they describe just seeing his eyes and nothing else. Like, th- that's where he's really started to remind me of the Morlocks. That Those are just real, where you see just his glowing eyes. And you don't mm-hmm. even know what it is, but he's there, you know. And I, and I love that Aragorn knows before anybody else. You know, Frodo tells because him. Because of course like, like he, he does. Yeah, because of course he does. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, he, and he's, he's even awesome. said he's tried to catch him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just imagine. <laughs> that would be a funny sight to see. No, yeah, I I love what one of my favorite lines in terms of funny lines in the fellowship is when Aragorn describes the road back to Mirkwood with Gollum in tow. And he says, I was glad to be rid of his company for he stank. Yep. For my uh-huh. part, I hope <laughs> never to look upon him again. But Gandalf came and endured long speech with him. <laughs> He's like, I could not be around this guy for a second longer. And it's Aragorn saying it. So, man, that he's got a lot of patience. He puts up with a lot. So that's that's a big deal. And Aragorn probably didn't smell very good either. So you can imagine how much worse Gollum would smell. Well, he said he was he was covered in green slime when he found him. So like <laughs> rotting algae, I'm sure, does what? not smell very good. <laughs> but of course, you know, Gollum finally, when when the fellowship is scattered, he's able to find Frodo and Sam or rather almost Frodo and Sam kind of find him. They lay a trap mm-hmm. for him and they're able to get his promise made not on the precious, but by the precious, that he will. Well, wait. What? What? The, what exactly does he promise? By the way, I'm not. He he doesn't promise to help them, really. To the books. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, he 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 promises not to let the Dark Lord have the ring again. I think. Hmm. Which he does do, but he didn't promise. He didn't say anything about promising not to try and steal it back. Because he does that on several occasions. In fact, he even says that one time when he's arguing with himself. He's like, you know, he promises not to hurt Frodo. So he's like, oh, so I won't hurt him. I'll let Shelob hurt him. Then I get the ring for myself. And I'm like, wow, okay. I'm like, you've really got to, 
if you make a promise with this guy, you've really got to be really specific because he will find any way to try and worm out of his agreement with you. Be a good lawyer. Yes. <laughs> He's going to get off on That's a technicality. A there you go. That's a show. Yeah. But the really Call interesting the thing there is that it, the, the really interesting there thing there is that he's truthful. Mm-hmm. He's specifically truthful, but mm-hmm. he's not lying, you know, and he's, he's not just going to out and out lie. Uh, and, and he, he commit when he commits to these promises, he commits to them. Like he, he's not going to harm them. Not, not that he's not going to lead them to harm, but he's not, he is not going to harm them himself. And he could very well. But but he doesn't. Well, he has the opportunity to several times. Yeah. 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 You can see that he's continually struggling against his own self throughout this entire story. And I thought this was one really interesting detail. Tolkien describes him as having a green glint in his eyes whenever he's being more evil. And then his eyes kind of go back to more gray when he's it's almost like Gollum is the green eyes and then Smeagol is the gray eyes. And when he gets towards the end of his journey, um, after I feel he's kind of past the point of no return, Tolkien writes that um, the green glint flickers under his heavy lids and it did not leave his eyes after that. So it's like at that point mm. is like Gollum one. And so I thought that was kind of interesting, like the green and uh, gray kind of whenever he kind of mentions those colors throughout, it's like you got to pay attention to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Green is kind of, it's kind of that classic evil color, like in a lot of like literature and, and stuff. And even since then, like green is kind of the, is is kind of associated with bad, with the bad guys. So like green is the color of envy. And then you see that in like, in fantasy since then with uh, like in Harry Potter, that Slytherins are, are green. Uh, yeah. Not that all Slytherins oh, are yeah. evil, but <laughs> <laughs> well, and I thought about that when you said he was covered in green slime. It made me think of the green glint in his eyes. Oh, yeah. And in, in the books, it, it, it clues you in as to who's speaking, Smeagol or Gollum. Because mm-hmm. in, in the movie, they, Andy Serkis's amazing performance mm-hmm. clues you in as to who's talking because they di- the two personalities have very different mannerisms. And it, it makes me feel even more sad for him when you see how ab- how emotionally abusive the Gollum personality is to Smeagol. Mm-hmm. He's manipulative. He's cruel. And he knows exactly what Smeagol's buttons he needs to push to get Smeagol to do what he wants. And it's just so... Uh, it, it's, it's a tragic thing to watch unfold, especially... You know, after they've been caught by Faramir and mm-hmm. in, in the movie's version of it, well, you know, uh, Frodo's able to, to get his life spared. But in the movie's version of it, you know, the Gollum side is being really manipulative. It, it's like it's like almost like it's trying to comfort Gollum. Like, it's OK. I told you he would betray you. You know, you know, that's why you should come back to me and do what I say. And I'm. That scene is always so unsettling and sad. It is. That gaslighting, right? <laughs> it's like Yes, a, yeah. Yeah. But it's 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 Sauron, like in a nutshell. It's it's the ring 
that has worn off on him. And that to me is like, I love that. I love the way that it's corrupted this part of him uh, so much so that it's, it is fully embracing the darkness. Right. And so much so that it, he embraces the darkness in a way that like, he, he doesn't serve Sauron, really. He doesn't want Sauron to get the ring. He's afraid, deathly afraid of Sauron. But he kind of serves Shelob. You know, it, mm. it says in the books he worships Shelob. And I don't know if that's feigned just to save his life or if there's something in Shelob that he recognizes that the two of them are alike in a certain mm. way. What do, what do you guys think of that? I, I just thought of that as we were discussing this. It's almost like they have a working relationship. Whereas <laughs> like with Sauron, Sauron has been really mean to him by tormenting him. But with Shelob, it's like he can, he, he, his whole plan with the hobbits is like, I'm going to send her a little treat. And then in return, she'll leave the clothes with the ring behind. So it's like, I'm going to give her something and she's going to give something back to me. So it's almost like maybe they've kind of, uh, maybe he's done something similar in the past with her. Right. Yeah. They, they definitely say he's interacted with her more than once. And I, but I think they have that kind of gluttonous desire in common for different things. Mm -hmm. You know, for Shelob, she just needs to eat people. And have that glut of life, like it says in the books. And Gollum, of course, lusts for the ring itself. And that's all he wants or cares about. And he knows that Shelob doesn't care about it. Despite what you may have seen in some other video games. Shelob <laughs> does not care about rings or armies or ruling the world or any of that stuff. She just wants to sit in her lair and eat people. And if I, but I think he he might recognize that connection that they're both mm -hmm. lustful, gluttonous creatures that want mm -hmm. something more than anything. And I think maybe that's why they understand one another in a weird way. But they also want to be left alone, right? Like they don't really want to have to deal with all the other junk. <laughs> like they don't they want power. <laughs> they want they just just. I want my thing and then I want you all you people to just go away. <laughs> and I, you know, right. Well, yeah. I wonder if the ring gives him, even if he doesn't wear it, cause we see Frodo can, or Bilbo can understand the spider speech um, when he wear when he's wearing the ring. So I wonder if like the ring gives Ooh. him some kind of like way to communicate with Shelob. Mm. Like even if it's, you know, maybe, maybe not quite, you know, as directly as speaking to one another, but maybe there's kind of some rudimentary communication there. And well, I hadn't thought of that, but like that's they have good, an understanding yeah. of some sort. Mm -hmm. And I mean, she, it, it's kind of funny to think if she could have said, I'm your, I'm a, I'm your God or something <laughs> to him. And he could have, you know, with, with, he could have believed it. And so that could, that's where that could have come from. Yeah, he, he kind of does. It says he like he he bows down before her and grovels on the ground. And you're just like, Ugh. <laughs> he has the worst yeah. luck with like meeting people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, poor Colin. Uh, but uh, and 
he, we, we could talk about Gollum for hours and hours because he's such a complex character, such an interesting character. Like, I almost forgot. Do, do you guys have any favorite Gollum quotes? Because he's so quotable. And I, I will not ask <laughs> any of you to do the voice. If, if you want to, fine. That would be great. But, but if, if you have any favorite Gollum quotes, throw them out there because oh, he has so many good lines. All right. So I use I use the it burns, it freezes all the time. <laughs> it's like yes. one of my favorites. So if anything's too tight, I'm like, ah, it burns, it freezes. <laughs> Just can't, you know, I, I that's my absolute favorite. I always use that quote. My my kids know it, and and they're like, you know, it wasn't until we got to that point in the books they're like, oh, that's where it comes from. I'm like, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Congratulations. I don't know for me. So I'll throw out for me. It's uh, is the it's the taters scene from the two towers. <laughs> yes. And the, the, and, I mean, the version of the film is is just amazing. But in the he says, what's what's taters precious? What's taters and. Then there's Sam's whole scene of potatoes, boil them, mash them, stick them in a stew. And I love that whole scene. But I mean, uh, similar to my family, like whenever we have potatoes with dinner or something, we tell the kids, okay, we're having taters. Uh, Sometimes (laughs) they'll even say like, what are, what taters or something like that. So it's almost like they're (laughs) quoting, they're quoting Gollum to me. So, but yeah, I love that scene in the book and in the film. So I love this part in the book. Um, So Sam says, I dare say, but where have you been sneaking off and sneaking back, you old villain? And then um, then Gollum is like, sneaking, sneaking, hobbits always so polite. Yes, oh, nice hobbits. Smeagol brings them up secret ways that nobody else could find. Um, then he goes on and on later on, and then uh, <laughs> Sam's kind of like, oh, sorry, sorry, okay, well, where have you been? And then he just goes, sneaking. Like I I love that. Uh, and they did such a good job of that in the movies too. They like yes. perfectly nailed that moment. Like yeah, I love like he's so Alec. even though he's like so evil, he's also still so silly. No, so yeah. Mischievous. My, my brother and I are constantly Sneaking. quoting Gollum lines. Like and even mm. one that, that's original to the movie. Like if someone spills like Food or crumbs on themselves will be like crumbs on his jacket, sis. He took it, you know, like or you know when 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 our cat like stares at us with like with like my 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 cat to try and get human attention will just bug his eyes out and stare at you, and we'll look at him and go terrible elves with bright eyes and stuff like that, like. I don't know, like, I guess these little things have just been burned into our brains, and he's such a funny character. I get one of my favorite ones is not like a quote, but it's like a little moment in the two towers, the book, when they, after they leave the Black Gate and they're going through Ithilien, Tolkien is at great pains to describe how beautiful the foliage is. And he names like three dozen different kinds of like trees. And as many different kinds of flowers, and he describes how great they smell. And the hobbits are, he describes them walking along, like taking deep breaths and going like, 
ah, and then <laughs> behind them, Gollum's coughing and retching because uh-huh. <laughs> he can't stand the smell of the pretty flowers. And I just I, I chuckle every time I come to that point in the book because I imagine that in my head. It was almost like you could do like a quick cut if it were filmed that way from them like. The hobbits rejoicing in this smell to go. I'm just going like, <laughs> yeah, it's like really an allergy is. medicine commercial. I was, like, I was the hobbits. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The hobbits. Don't forget your Benadryl, Gollum. Yeah. You too can enjoy the, the fresh, clean scent of flowers. <laughs> Who knew that's what that's what he wanted the one ring for? There you go. Yeah. Well, hey, it might be because the one ring, the one ring increased all his other senses. Maybe now, like it's increased his sense of smell to where like any kind of smell is painful. <laughs> well, aside from his own, because I can't imagine he. Yeah, like we said, he must. He can't smell very good. So right. Used to that. Used to that. Oh, and that reminds me of another, one last one where they feed him <laughs> the the lembas. And he he and starts he coughing and yeah, he well, he goes, you tries to choke us. He accuses them of trying to kill him <laughs> deliberately. <laughs> he is very funny. Yeah. And if but you think you about have... the limb, if you think about the limbus is almost like, a you know, a, a metaphor, you know, for the Eucharist, it's like he can't he can't consume the Eucharist like it. it, it right. Is choking him. So. Mm hmm. Yeah, I think even Frodo says, like, you're not ready for it. You can't even try it. Yeah, very sad. Just kind of, I don't know, every little detail about Gollum just emphasizes its sadness. Even though he's very funny when he speaks. (laughs) Right, yeah. That's the thing. It's almost like a bitter sweetness. Like, yeah, some of the things he does are really funny, but in kind of a pathetic way where you feel sorry for him. Do you guys have any other closing thoughts on this character before we wrap up? I still say he's the hero. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going not going to argue. Yeah. <laughs> no, I am not going to yeah. argue that. I think that is that is a very interesting, and I still want my like version of the story from Gollum's point of view. That would be very interesting <laughs> in his voice too. It w- although that could get obnoxious at like the length of a whole mm-hmm. book, I could imagine. <laughs> Dear Diary, I'm following the hobbits around again today. And then just wait till Andy Circus narrates the whole thing in yeah. Gollum voice. <laughs> that would be crazy. Okay, so th- that would be great, though. <laughs> worth it. But that, yeah, worth it. <laughs> that's what. That's another thing that the Gollum character has given us. Andy Circus's performance and all his great narrations of the audiobooks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he's now doing the Silmarillion, too. Yeah, it. Um, I think it's coming out this month, so it might be out before this episode. Okay, yeah, I knew. I just thought it was. I knew. I think it had been announced a while ago, or at least widely mm-hmm. speculated. But yeah, recently yeah. I saw that it was like officially coming out. So super exciting! I cannot wait to hear his voices for the different elves. Like, does he sing in the Idol Like, <laughs> that would be awesome. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm super excited. Yeah, no, I'm super excited for anything Middle Earth that he's doing. And that's another thing about like the fa- his performance of that character changed the way CGI characters are done because it 
brought mm-hmm. the whole motion capture technology to a mature state where they're like, we could do a whole character this way, you know, because I, I don't think it would have worked practically with with makeup with Gollum because no. he has to look emaciated and that's hard yeah. to do, you know, practically, you know, mm-hmm. they're great at making people look fat with practical effects, but <laughs> making them look starved doesn't really seem to work out. So yeah, it's a bit uh, a bit cruel to to do that to someone (laughs) christian bale or one of those method actors that (laughs) oh yeah yeah. i was gonna say some crazy method actor might like i'm going to starve myself for three months to for this role we don't i don't think we want that no golem might though On that note, we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make this show possible, including Tim W., Marion M., George U., Amy M., and Robert H. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give help us to continue to create the secrets of Middle-Earth and all of the shows here at StarQuest, and you can join them at sqpn.com slash give. And don't forget that another great way to support the show is by getting your official Secrets of Middle-Earth gear at sqpn.com slash merch. And we'd love to hear from you. Is is Gollum your favorite Tolkien character? I'm sure he's somebody's favorite. If so, why? And what are your, your some of your favorite Gollum quotes and moments? Have you played the Gollum video game? And if so, what did you think of it? You can let us know all these things at sqpn.com slash Middle-Earth or on our Facebook page, or on Twitter, or by sending an email to MiddleEarth at sqpn.com, or by commenting on our YouTube channel, or on the StarQuest Discord server over at sqpn.com slash discord. And we'll be back next time where, as kind of a follow-up to our Father's Day episode, we'll be talking about the MiddleEarth fan film Born of Hope which is about Aragorn's father, Arathorn. And you can watch the movie for yourself at bornofhope.com. Until then, Caitlin Fasista, thank you for sharing with me the secrets of Middle-earth. Thank you. And Thomas Sanjuro, thank you as well. It's been a pleasure. And Jeff Hecker, thank you also. Thank you, Thomas. Once again, I'm Thomas Salerno, and thank you for listening to The Secrets of Middle-earth here on StarQuest. Here's another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy, Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World. Find the show wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash mysterious.